Welcome to the Diligent Endeavors podcast, where we interview people from all walks of life striving for success. We share highlights, interviews, and stories of others to spread inspiration, valuable insights, and content. Remember to put yourself in danger of success. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the first ever episode of the Diligent Endeavour podcast. Um, I'd like to introduce myself. I'm Philip Leslie Tyler. I've been in property for about four and a half years alongside my wife, Leanne Tyler. Um, I'd like to just introduce the podcast itself. So we came up with the name Diligent Endeavour podcast. And if you look at the meaning of diligent and endeavours, it really does apply to pretty much anything that you're striving for within your life whether that be business property or anything else so diligent having or showing care and conscientiousness in one's work or duties and then endeavor trying hard to do or achieve something so we felt that this really did apply to many things in life be as i say be that business or property or anything that you are striving towards. So the first guest which I have on this episode is none other than Jamie York. Jamie is the director of Aspire Property Group, which which is the third largest property sourcing business in the UK. Um, Jamie became a millionaire at 25 years old. Wow, I can't remember what I was doing at 25. Jamie's also appeared on a BBC documentary, The Week the Landlords Moved In, as well as featuring on a number of property podcasts and publications. So without further ado, um, let's get into it. So welcome, Jamie. First episode of the Diligent Endeavours podcast. And thank you for agreeing. I know you're a really busy, busy man. You've got lots of, uh, you know, companies you're juggling. So yeah, how, uh, oh, for fuck's sake. See, I told you I'd fuck up, didn't I? (laughs) (laughs) You haven't fucked up. That sounded really good, mate. (laughs) Right, that'll get slightly edited. Right. So I've had lots of questions sent in to me from people who follow you. And they, you know, they want to get to know you a little bit better. Um, I know a lot of these sort of property expert, industry experts. Um, they're kind of put on a pedestal, aren't they? Um, a lot of people just put these people on a pedestal, and it's just—it's not really like that. I, I, I know the first time I met you, and you won't mind me saying this, I didn't like you. That's no, fair play. I, I don't like me too much either. But, <laughs> but then, <laughs> as I got as I got to know you, you were a completely different person. And, you know, me and you have got, become good friends now. You know, I've been to your house, seen your refurb on the go, been to your office. Um, we went for dinner and um, I had to pay, but uh, let's, uh, <laughs> let's leave. I had to get that in there, Jamie. <laughs> I fucking, I forgot my wallet. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I had to get in there. So, yeah, just to get, just so everyone else can get to know you a little bit better, you know, before property, because you weren't just born doing deals. It didn't happen like that. There's a lot of struggle in between. So what you know, what were you doing before property? Well, quite a lot, really. I mean, so when I was younger, I'd say I was always quite entrepreneurial and um, like little hustles and things like that. And I mean, like the first hustle I could think about is Pokemon cards. Back in the day, I would have been year three. So I would have been seven or eight um, at the time. And 
I noticed people wanting Pokemon cards. And so I'd trade the extras, like the doubles that I had for money. And uh, that got shut down after about a month because school did not like it. And then it was got in senior school, it's trading like, but going to, what is it, Costco and buying a crate of uh, um, of Coke and then selling off the individual cans and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I've always been, had that entrepreneurial spirit. And then as soon as I could, I mean, from a, a paper delivery to uh, fixing mini diggers to B&Q, working on a farm in a fridge, working in Subway as a sandwich artist. Um, <laughs> and them, uh, I had all these jobs. That's one of them um, bullshit job titles, isn't it? Which just doesn't it, make yeah, sense. Yeah, basically, I made you a sandwich. Um, <laughs> but as a sandwich artist. And um, yeah, so I, I just always worked. I've always loved the discipline of working. And I don't know, I, I always felt good having money I guess and I don't, I don't know if that was originally a healthy relationship as such but I grew up with no money and absence of money and so then when I had jobs you know when I worked in Subway I was 16 and I'd done five pounds an hour but I'd work 40 hours a week so you know evenings weekends get the 40 hours in so I'd be paid 200 pound a week now 200 pound a week now doesn't sound crazy good but at that age honestly I felt so rich and I love the fact that, you know, my, a lot of my friends, I went to a uh, Dartford Grammar, which is, it's not a private school, but like, there's a lot of wealthy kids that go there. So like, if we went to the cinema and bought some sweets and spent 20 quid, I felt really powerful knowing that I paid for it. Whereas a lot of other people, they sort of go to the bank and mum and dad, which is cool as well. No problem. And then at uni, I started trading a little bit. So I went to uni, studied uh, finance, and started getting, getting good with uh, trading, coffee, derivatives, stock, gold, and on the Hang Seng. And started making a bit of money, but I absolutely hated it. Like, hated being on my own. Um, like, I, I struggle with that anyway, still, if I'm honest. But, like, the isolation of, like, hours and hours and hours and hours at the time. And what I used to do when I was at home trading, instead of going to uni, um, is I'd see Homes Under the Hammer on, I think it was at 10 a.m. every single day. And I used to watch these people just ignoring what Martin and Lucy Phil said, uh, Martin and Lucy, sorry, said over and over. And I just thought, well, if these idiots can do it, um, then I can do it. So I ended up sort of saving up as much money as I could. And then at 19, I thought uh, I bought my first buy to let, screwed everything up. And that really, and obviously, you know, a bit more like the story behind it and the development of that kind of accelerated me onto the journey, if you like. So, Yeah. Cool, cool. So it, it couldn't have just been watching homes under. The, was there anything? Was there anything or anyone that kind of inspired you, or was it Martin? <laughs> <laughs> no, it was no. Um, it wasn't it Martin, was it? It was Phil, Lucy and Phil. Yeah, yeah. It? And then, do, do you know, like, um, there, there's there's two key people. My my mom's always inspired me. Um, not not so much in property world, but she's she's been one of these people. She's never had money at all um she's not academically minded i would say but very emotionally intelligent very street smart and i noticed at my school like you know i was the poor kid out of my group financially speaking and yet all of my mates wanted to come around my house they had these beautiful houses absolutely gorgeous but everyone wanted to come to my house because my mom was just so rooted down to earth and and a great individual and what i loved is like little things like 
we we'd struggle financially all the way through the year but we always went on a holiday like even if it was a butlins holiday or something like that but we always went on one and we never had clothes too small for us and shit like that right and so that really inspired me and it also allowed me to realize that i mean even if you screw up like really screw up i'm still gonna have a roof over my head you know i'm still gonna have a hot meal in my stomach so it's like there's no risk really there's really no risk the other person was a, as a guy, um, one of my lecturers at uni. So when I was sort of trading, um, I ended up making quite a bit of money very quickly. Um, we're talking about 200 and it was just shy of a quarter of a million. Um, and very quickly, like I sold off um, what I was doing in trading and stopped. And in about 10 months, I spent 230 grand of it. So you can, do you know, what's worse is there wasn't a stupid car or a stupid watch or tech everywhere. So you can imagine where it goes, right? Yeah. And um, and 10 months later, this lecturer just said, look, you're either gonna be somebody that is inspirational, driven, pushing themselves forward. And I was like thinking, fuck, like somebody really believes in me. And you know, like it was kind of like a father figure because obviously Phil, you you know, but your listeners, my, my dad passed away when I was 13. And so, this person believed in me and I was like, wow, so nice having that. And you went, yeah, or you'll end up in prison. <laughs> I was like, right. Yeah. Kind of different. And he said, oh, look, being genuine, the way you're going and the people you're surrounding yourself with right now, it wouldn't shock me if it's the latter. And he happened to own sort of over 20 buy to let properties in Burnley, um, which is where I, I bought my first one. So like that was a major inspiration to show me actually just to go out, shift my patterns and um, you know, get a different outcome. So yeah, that that was huge for me. Cool, cool. Yeah, I had some similar sort of mentors in my um, my upbringing. Uh, you know, my dad, me and my dad are like chalk and cheese to be honest. Um, even now, he's never said that he's proud of what I've done. You know, coming from where I've come from. You know, being a drug addict and homeless and what have you. He's never said, you know, well done. You know, you've got all these properties. You're doing everything that you you know you wanted to do. And, uh, you know, my, my brother was a big influence in my life. And I also had a teacher. And um, I remember I was in a class once and he said to I was I was demonstrating the effect of compound interest. This was in um, uh, like a design and technology class. And I was speaking to a, about three of my friends and I was saying, you know, would you rather have a penny or the first day multiplying or three million straight away? And he overheard the conversation, came over to me and he just said, you're going to be a millionaire one day and walked away. (laughs) Yeah, the teacher, which, um, you know, usually teachers are all put in a negative light for, you know, putting pupils down. But I I didn't really have that, to be honest. So you touched Mm. on the fact of your first property deal there in Burnley. Now, I know the answer to the, to the, to the, uh, the next two questions. So we're going to go with, what was the worst property deal you ever done? That one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 the first deal. Do, do you know what? It's, it's actually, it, depend, it depends how people contextualise that, you know. So in, in hindsight, it's probably the best deal I've ever done. Because you, you know what? And this links in with you saying, like, you didn't really like me at the start. Like, obviously, we're, we're like semi-joking <laughs> but like gen- gen- genuinely like I get it like so you know for, for for those people that don't know me I'm 29 now 
and the first one that I bought when was when I was 19 you probably met me for the first time when I was 25 turning 26 yeah probably like that so um I'll get back to why this links to the to the best property and the worst property it's the worst property because I had no money and it was 21,800 pounds 36 Burdett Street and um and it was every penny that I had every penny that I'd ever worked for right um because I'd spunked the rest being an idiot and then my mate's dad um he bought me a van like he he again was a real father figure and he bought me a van just went off you go then and um and it was it was just an incredible thing and like even sorry the reason I paused there was I realized like wow I probably haven't given him enough thanks and enough gratitude considering where I am today wouldn't be if he didn't buy me that van so I'm just making a mental note there to uh, to do something about that. So, um, but yeah, I went up there every weekend because I was still at uni. I was in my last year, right? And um, I was going up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down, sleeping in the back of the van. And then my next door neighbour, Steve, <laughs> and um, it, he said, I'll, I'll sort the kitchen and plaster it. And me being young, naive, earned the money. I, I was working cash in hand to get the money, paid him up front nothing of it like I've always grown up around if you get paid for a job you do it and do it the best of your ability like it's never it had never come into my head ever at that point that you do anything different right so um so I end up sort of a week two weeks a month sent a message oh be another month yet mate it takes a while to dry out I'm like okay yeah cool like you know not thinking anything another month goes by and then it was um exam season in uni so I was like right I'll just double down my exams another month another month get my exams done and I'm like listen mate it's been four months it's all done now nothing rang in nothing so I drove up there never mind he literally lived next door literally lived next door and um I thought something's weird here so I go in and I would say to people you know you've got like a sixth sense sometimes like you can feel something's wrong like you could smell it before you can see it all of those I opened it and I just remember this dust just hitting me in the head and I oh, mean, it was, it, it's funny now, but at the time it really wasn't like the radiators that I'd hung and like they'd been ripped off the wall, taken the RCD unit that had been taken, the electrics that I'd put in the wall because I'd chased it all out. They'd been taken, ripped out. Um, the boiler had been taken that was boxed. My tools had been taken. The kitchen had been taken. Um, the bathroom had been taken. The kitchen floor was dug up. And I remember, I remember just like, why like why <laughs> and it turns out there's lead in the floor in there um so yeah they left my sleeping bag that was nice um and then i knock next door banging on the window banging banging and i see the net you know like the netting like yeah. some people have on the thing and netting was out there boom 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 stay 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 what's going on and um i see movement i'm like i fucking see you what you're doing so i look through the window these like back-to-back houses and i see my kitchen installed in his kitchen oh, no. so i mean he's done a lovely job but <laughs> it was just like I, I, I was like oh my god and i don't know whether it was because i was scared felt threatened by it or something like that but all i did is i put a, the property on the market and just moved on i felt nothing like i remember just feeling numbness i felt i felt hurt but like i didn't feel much and I, I did nothing after that. And I probably just about broke even, you know, realistically, I probably lost a grand, but yeah. more importantly, I lost nine months and it was like, and I felt so small, like so insecure in myself because I was like, I'm just a kid. 
you know, and I've always been a bit laddie, you know, that sort of attitude. And then suddenly I was a small kid again and it shut me down for three years. Um, I did nothing. Wow. Absolutely nothing for three years because everyone was going to screw me over. The fact I'm a southerner up north, people are going to quote me London price. Everyone will screw me over. And, you know, like now I've got all this bomb fluff on me, but I still look like a 12 year old as soon as I shave. And, and then I really look young. And so I just I'd made these decisions that people were going to screw me over. Um, and the reason it's one of the best deals is it made me grow up really quick. And sometimes you can be thrown into situations that it really helps accelerate you. So then when I did get back in, I knew I needed to do it in the right way. I needed to get educated. Um, and I invested in myself, which which my mom thought was crazy, but, you know, a lot, well, difference between uh, in, in, what's it, insanity and intelligence are very slim sometimes. And, um, yeah, they thought I was crazy. And so I threw myself into that, did it the right way. And then it allowed me to grow really quickly. And then the way this links back to what you were saying about, like, you know, maybe not liking it at the start is what then happened is because you know, I was still relatively young in the grand scheme of things and I'd had to grow up really fast. And then suddenly by becoming big, if you like, and like I, for those who can't see them, I did the, the little bunny ear rabbits, big, um, is you're suddenly pedestalized. And you mentioned that word at the beginning and it's like, I'm still this chav from Dartford. And obviously you know me pretty well now, Phil, like, you, you know, like we're mates and everything. So you get what I mean when I'm still that chad from Dartford. Like you're, you're just as like, likely to see me eating a greasy fucking, I don't know, KFC, then going to the Shard. It's just like I'm wearing a hoodie or a suit. It's like whatever. Um, but back then, I remember you get pedestalized. And obviously with the training company, they're obviously going to pedestalize the people that do really well. And so I was thrown into this thing. And I think I had this sort of, I don't know, maybe six months to a year where I thought I was somebody. And like, I, I think I liked it. I think I liked the ego of suddenly people being like, yeah, you're great. You're amazing. And again, that was one of the best things that happened to me because I probably had the most self-contemplative years in that year or two, because that's when I become a net worth millionaire. And I thought I'd made it like I've, I've completed life and people treated me like I was different and like with respect that I hadn't really earned. And so like, that was the period when you met me. And so I, like, I genuinely don't like when people say that if they met me in that period, it's like, yeah. Um, but that was one of the best moments in my life as well, because it forces you to grow. And you'll know yourself in, you know, I've, I know you've got a, a bit of a history as well, Phil. And I'm sure you'll agree those hard times and those growth periods that you went through is what really makes you who you are today. Yeah, 100%. You know, I think we're all still going through those growth periods, but it's it's how it's the steep ones that teach you the most. Those really really steep growth periods. You know, I'm I'm still going through as I say growth period today. And it's quite steep. I'm you know, I'm learning different things, you know, adding more properties to the portfolio, starting podcasts. Um but yeah, you've just got to sort of put yourself in danger of success. And if you're scared about doing something, just do it scared anyway. Yeah, well, I love that. I love that. Do it scared anyway. And this, it's one of those things that when, when you think about making money, well, how is it people make money? It's by providing solutions, right? Hmm. So then how do you provide a solution? Well, you need a problem. So it's no wonder that most of your growth comes from the hard times because they're the biggest problems. 
And in order to get past those hard times, you have to provide the biggest solution. And so then when you provide that biggest solution, you grow the most. So yeah. it's completely logical um, when you think about it like that. But yeah, I like that. Yeah, 100%. So we touched on the on your sort of worst property deal slash best one. And I can see why you see them as pro- probably both. But let's let's flip it on its head. What would you consider the best property deal you've done? And I've got an idea which one this is going to be because it's really recent. Really recent. Is it the Essex one? I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, that that was a crazy one. So th- this is a bit out there. So when when Phil just said, you know, you need to put yourself in the face of danger and the danger of success, is um you pick up these mad opportunities sometimes, and it's it's not that I'm particularly special doing this. It's the fact that I know what I'm doing and I'm doing it consistently. And I think that's the key word with anyone successful is the consistency that you put out there. So <clears throat> we're getting these leads in. We talk to them all the time, and there's one where this. It came originally from somebody trying to buy it at auction with a mortgage, which, by the way, if you're new to property, you never do. Never, ever try to buy something at auction with a mortgage. Get bridging or buy it cash. So the added issue with this is that they 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 had some issues where I'll try to explain it as clearly as possible. Essentially, when these buildings were built, it was about 16 years ago, and you've got all houses, and then these last two are flats, like a one-up, one-down type flat. So you've got 53, 55, 57, and then you'd expect 59, 61, right? Which it is on Landridge. But the door numbers were put on 53, 55, 57, 61, 59. So all that had happened is the numbers had been put on the wrong way. And for 16 years, that called a massive issue. Now, the reason it had uh, caused a massive issue is the person that bought 61, which is really 59, was a charity. And I'm not talking about a, a small charity. If you don't know about endowment funds for like Harvard and stuff like that, they're worth billions. So this charity is the or endowment fund is the second biggest in the world. It's got like something like three billion in property or real estate. And this was just causing them massive issues because the way that charities work is they'll buy a portfolio for a hundred million or something like that. They'll do something in its own company, set of accounts and then exit it. So they've exited the whole thing apart from this one property that they have to get the set accounts on, but they're paying 20, 30 grand a year for this one property in taxes and, and uh, accounts and things like that, which is crazy as a smaller person trying to comprehend that. So they tried selling an auction to this person and they, 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 I think it was like 90 grand they got it agreed at. Bear in mind, it's worth 170 all day long, maybe 175. And you're thinking, bloody hell, this is absolute steal. So I'm a bit jealous of the person buying this, right? So they end up not being able to buy it. And the charity comes to us and they're just like, look, we've been trying to sell this for over a year. We just need out. Now for a charity what they really needed to do is get the tenant downstairs out of their property, but the other person thought it was their property. Right. Um, And then redo it, change it all. And then they can legally occupy and take over. The issue is as an endowment and charity, all they're allowed to do is send one letter a year to the tenant who's European, by the way, and English a little bit broken, send one letter a year, explaining the situation as best as possible and encouraging them to get in touch with citizens' advice. 
That's all they're allowed to do, it's right? It's never going to happen, is it? It's never going to happen. Never going to happen. So they come to me and I'm talking to all the lawyers, just like, hold on, what, what solves this? What solves this? And they're like, oh, it's going to be this. It'll be 10 grand. It'll be 12 grand, blah, 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 blah. And, um, and I was just like, right, 10, 12 grand. That's a lot of money in legals, but fair play. And the guy that came to me, also known uh, called Jamie, called me from the charity, the endowment fund, just said, look, we just want rid tell me a number and I was like listen I'll flip that on its head you tell me a number and I was like I don't want to go back and forth I don't want to mess around just tell me a walk away figure I'll take it on at risk knowing in my head I can solve it for 12 grand right I'll take it on at risk and uh, you just tell me a number he went all right 50 grand and I got off and I went let me just think about this for a second like let me call you back and I'm getting off thinking (laughs) 50 grand 50,000 pounds for something worth 170. I was like, obvious no-brainer. And um, so I thought, right, give it an hour. Call him back. And I'm like, listen, mate, Dan's not really happy with 50 grand. He went 15 grand. I was like, sorry, what? He went 15,000 pounds. I was like, sorry, 15000. He went, yeah. And I was like, all right, let's get it done. And I bought it in two days. So <laughs> absolutely snapped it up, right? Obviously. So I sat there and um, that's not even the crazy part, right? So there I am. And um, years later, I'm not, I'm not years later, a few months later, I'm not proud to say this. I was watching Love Island, right? And, uh, and on the break, there was this undercover boss. And I won't mention the guy's name just in case he wants to keep it privately, but it's a, a big guy in property worth probably about 700 million. And I was like, I know that guy. I've met him before. And I, and I Google him. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I've met him. I've met him through a, a training company before. And the next day, no word of a liar, Phil, the next day, my phone rings with a landline number. And I hardly ever pick up numbers, I don't think. But I was just like, yeah, I'll pick it up. And he went, listen, you don't know me, but my name's X. And I was like, sorry, I, I do know you. Were you on under? He was like, yeah, yeah, that's me. I was like, what? He said, listen, there's this massive thing going on with the property below and there's a whole dispute amongst the family on this portfolio. Do you want to buy my property off me? And I was like, yeah, all right then. And then he went, and there's this like whole legal thing trying to get sorted out, right? I hadn't spent any money yet. I was planning it. And he goes, I've had agents around and they're saying it's worth 200 all day long. It's not, Phil. It's not. It, it might be worth 175. He's, he's toppy there. And he went, you can have it off me. You're pushing against an open door, but I want 160 for it. So I'm there just like, it's still worth it. If you think I get two properties worth 350, all in for 175 if I do that, right? So I thought that's a smart investment. I'm getting 50 pence on the pound. I was like, yeah, but it's not that smart when I've got 10 pence on the pound right now, right? So instead I went back to him and I said, look, I'm up in Leeds, by the way, all of my portfolios up in Leeds, for those that don't know. Um, And I said, I'm not going to buy it off you for 160, but you can buy mine off of me for 160 if you buy it in a week. And he went, all right, you got a deal. And it didn't take a week. It took a month, but it completed literally, I want to say last month, might have been a month and a half ago now. So he did. He bought 160,000. I probably was all in with legals both ways, all in, including the purchase for 19, let's call it 20 grand. So 20 grand in, sold it for 160. So made 140 grand profit on that. That is 
the most insane deal I've ever done, I think. That, that's a crazy deal. I knew, I knew about the deal, but I didn't know about that other individual. I know who that is. What a small world. How crazy is that? That is honestly insane. Absolutely insane, the whole thing. So, um, so yeah, we've done the, the worst deal. We've done the best deal. A lot of things on social media we see are like highlight reels of yeah. people just, you know, I don't know, photo next to a Lamborghini and you're like, okay, yeah, here we go. But you never see the downsides and what people actually failed at. So mm. I know that you've ran multiple businesses spanning different industries throughout your whole sort of journey, so to speak, in business. Is there anything that you failed at like big time? Do you know, Phil, like, I don't, I don't think there's like one huge screw up. Like, I don't think there's one huge screw up. And if you know of one, let me know and we can talk about it. Um, <laughs> but like, from my experience, it's been little screw ups that have a big impact, if you like. So my, my biggest thing that I struggle with is my emotions. And, you know, I'm quite a passionate character. And I think I've still got a lot of growing up to do. Um, and I'm a big believer in, you know, your, your wealth and success is directly correlated to how well you manage your emotions. And I think the way my brain works is like, I wouldn't say it's aspergic or something, but it's very like mechanical sometimes. So like, I, I said at the beginning, like, if you got paid for a job, you do the job like that. I don't really understand anything else, but Actually, I've realized it doesn't work like that. So I've looked at these statistics. A full-time employee works on average two hours and 44 minutes a day. Like that hurts me as an employer that's paying them for eight, <laughs> you know? Um, and it's, it's, it's really, I find it hard to comprehend things like that. So it's managing my emotions when uh, you expect people to do their jobs. You expect things to go right. You expect a builder to do a good job and a refurb. You expect them to be able to follow a spec. Um, you expect people, if, it's, if they say it's going to be 20 grand, that it actually costs 20 grand. Um, and so these little mistakes end up having a big impact. Um, some, some sort of negative outcomes, I guess. And I don't know if it's through a big screw up that's happened, but there's a, there's a property, one of my first ever commercial conversions that I did. Um, I was one of these people where, you know, everyone's talking about prior approval, permitted development. The way it was portrayed by some of the trainers out there was it should golden egg like you're guaranteed it and um it's not quite like that so my first one had prior approval and uh did not get accepted and so i ended up negotiating with the developer blah 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 where i ended up losing 30 pence on the pound which actually isn't that bad i don't think the all-in money was about 195,000, and i got about 70 pence on the pound so whatever that is um, on there. Was it 10.43? So 190, no, sorry, 130 odd. Let's call it 140. So all in all, that's the risks of business. Um, and honestly, you learn more in those times. So like my, my tip when somebody's made a mistake is accept that you're human. Like, honestly, we screw up all the time. You can't be so hard on yourself, especially when you're growing, by the way. 
I mean, you, you've grown so much since, since I met you, Phil. And I bet you screw up more in the last year than you have the previous four because you're growing so quickly. And so, you know, it's, it's that natural thing that if, you, if you're in your comfort zone and you go outside of it, which is where all of your growth is, it's also where all of the unknown is. So how on earth can you expect to go into the unknown and get everything right? That would be crazy. And it's that really sort of weird analogy where like it's, it's not about how many times you fall off the horse. It's how quick do you get back up? How yeah. quick do you get back on it and learn from your mistakes? And so, yeah, there's no crazy big ones that come in my head. It's just small, continuous ones that I'm, I'm trying to just constantly develop myself and grow into. Yeah, I think I can... Um... You know that that's that sounds like like me as well. Other than you know the the massive fuck up years ago when I became a drug drug addict and went homeless, that is probably the mother of all fuck ups. But you know during the property sort of um, journey that I've been on for the past what four and a half years, the first two years were just me chasing the shiny penny and not really focusing much and then the last two years of where everything sort of happened and it is about just putting yourself in you know out of your comfort zone and just listening to what your mentors or you know your trainers are actually telling you and do it because you know when you when you actually listen to what they say this shit works um, <laughs> believe yeah, it or not people always seem shocked when it's like yeah. oh my god it actually happens like yeah definitely so that's kind of what happens I know that in relation to like, let's, let's bring it around to property. I know in relation to like property training, there's a, there's, I believe there's a statistic about, you know, people taking courses and then going on to be de deemed successful. Is it, is it 9% of all people? Something like that. Yeah. yeah. Something like that. Is it, which is absolutely crazy when you think, you know, how many people go through courses and I've, as I say, I've been in property four and a half years. You've been a, in a, a lot longer than me and you've probably seen people come people go our facebook forums they'll be they'll be up there and then next year they'll be gone so what would you say is the number one reason that people do not achieve success or be deemed to be successful i know there's a lot of factors yeah like that if, if there's one they stop that's it like they 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 give up um and I, I guess then it's getting to the root of why do you give up because it, it's it's partly trainers faults um and you know people like myself and i'd like to think i do it differently and i'll give an example of what i mean but it is the trainer's fault or partial responsibility i should say but ultimate responsibility is down to the person so what, what i mean by this is if somebody's going to give up it will be within the first six months three to six months, 100%. I'd, 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 this isn't a real statistic, but it wouldn't shock me if you're above 80% of the people that give up will be in the first six months. Now, why is that? Because why is it we will go through 16 years of education to get our GCSEs, to go and get two years of education for our A-levels or IB, whatever it is, to then go and get three-year undergrad degree, to now you need to go and get a master's degree for a year or two, to go and make a cup of tea for three years for some arsehole above you, to then earn the right to actually earn decent money, which might be between 20, 20 and 30 grand, dependent on location. But why is it we're willing to dedicate 25, six, seven years getting to that point? And yeah, some people expect to go on a course and change their entire life in just a month or two. It doesn't work like that. So why is it the responsibility of them? Grow the fuck up, like you're adults. 
you know, start taking responsibility and consistent action, which I'll link back to in a moment. Why is it the responsibility of the trainer? Well, a lot of it's sold like it will be this pipe dream. And, you know, like it's, I always say to people, property is just as far as get rich quick as you can get. Like it is just not get rich quick. And I always say, I can show people how to get rich. No problem. It's the quick that's the issue. So I think some people go quit your job in 30 days, you know, and that whole marketing. And what I say to people is if you said like deal packaging, for example, I love deal packaging and trading. If you said to me, I want to do 100,000 in my first year, I'd say that is a lot more reasonable than saying I want to do five grand a month within 30 days. And it's like, and I always say to people, is it possible? Yes. Is it probable? No. So I always like encouraging people to have a three-year mindset rather than a three-month mindset. Because honestly, if you can have in your head at the start taking consistent action, and I mean 10 hours a week of real, not fucking scrolling, right move, real action, real focused action, and you do that for three years, your life will change in so many more ways than you realize. And I don't, I don't even mean just money. I mean, your mindset will be completely different. The, the money will be different. The people you hang around with will be different. The food, you, I mean it, the food you eat will be different. The way you, you look after your body will be different. The way you sleep will be different. Three years is not that long. But if you think right now, how long, it, like for the people listening, how long have you tried this? And if you say three years, bullshit, you've probably tried 10 different things in those three years. And similar for you, Phil, right? Shiny penny syndrome at the start. Go yep. and do this, go and do that, go and do this. So you've not been doing it for years. You've been doing it for two years. Yeah. And then the same with me. Like I say 10 years. In, it's like, no, I bought my first property 10 years ago. I've been doing this for seven years. And so when people like, you know, figures, like we'll, we'll do over a million a year now, which is insane when I think about it. But it's like, it took seven years. That's both a lot of years and not a lot of years to be grafting so people always in a rush and the problem with trying to rush is you get it wrong and you you're not consistent um so yeah i'd, I'd say that's the biggest thing mate is the biggest thing is people just stop way too early and they just think it's going to come to them after putting in a few a few hours it's like going to the gym for three hours ripping your body to shreds and we all do it don't we, where we lift up our top at the gym quickly look at our abs that still aren't there and you're like oh man fuck's sake and it's like you expect yourself to to have this shredded adonis body by the end of the week and it's like no try going to the gym 20 minutes a day every day for three months i'm not saying it's the best way to do it but your body will be different yeah i think we, we live in an age where our attention spans just tiny now so mm. you know we, we expect results yesterday rather than mm. in a in a few weeks months years time and it's um it's not it's not healthy for your mindset either at, at all so we, we've touched on training and people's success and what have you and i know that you've got a a course out at the moment so would you just mind telling everyone listening just a little bit about that and how that might differ from others yeah, sure. So, you know, your, your, your typical course is a couple of grand for two, three days. Um, and then you've got a mastermind after for accountability, um, which is great. And that's the education that I originally did. The, the issue that I have with that is 
there's no online resources. It's shifted slightly now because of COVID, right? But in general, there's no resources. So really what you come away from is three days of a hell of a load of information. And being black and white about it, unless you did the mastermind, it was going to be really difficult to be successful. The problem is, how do you judge somebody on just the weekend? How do you know if the information is good? You don't. So everyone thinks the information is good until you go out and implement it. And you're like, actually, it's a little bit different um, to that. And you can tell that either somebody's not really doing property anymore. You can tell that a mile off once you're in property, right? Um, and things like that. And, and it shifted again because now there's more brand out there, like the YouTube channel and things like that. So now people are able to make more of a decision about you before they even meet you. Whereas a lot of people on those weekends, they were meeting you there. So I, I'm, I'm a bit of a stoic. Um, if you, those of you that don't know, look into stoic uh, philosophy or stoicism. And there's a big thing about controllables and uncontrollables. And in life, and it's, it's, I actually went into it for my emotions and managing my emotions. And so something I like doing is drawing a circle, um, it's a big circle. And within that circle, I write down everything in whatever I'm struggling with right now. I write down everything that I can control. And then what I do on a separate bit of paper, I know this is a bit corny, but I do. On a separate bit of paper, I'll write down one by one, just something that is annoying, but I have no control over. These are uncontrollables. And literally one by one, I rip it off, screw it up and throw it. It's like a metaphorical thing. But honestly, you, each time you throw it, it's like, oh, I've, I've, I've literally let go of it. And so the reason this relates to my training and the way that I did it with the Elite Property Trading Academy, which obviously you've been a part of, Phil, as well, is that it's it's still around a couple of grand, two and a half grand. But instead of being a weekend, it's over three months. Now, the benefit to me is it still makes money because how many people I have on it doesn't impact the quality and delivery. There's still a cap on there because I, I make a commitment to answer every single question. Um, and as you know, there are a lot of questions that come in. But what it allows over those three months is delivered on a Monday and Thursday, online, in the evenings, live, where they're answering questions and things like that. It allows people to take it in bite-sized chunks. It's still a challenge. It's not an easy ride. There's a lot of information. And actually, over those three months period, it works out as about 15 days worth of education, which, you know, at any other company would be 15, 16 grand, right? 15 days worth of information. But that's what you need because there's a lot. But it's broken down in bite-sized chunks. People have the opportunity to implement it. And they've got unlimited questions and answers over that three-month period. So does that guarantee somebody's success? No, because there'll still be people that do it and do fuck all. Unfortunately, there are people that sign up and just don't turn up, you know, because you get course junkies. They're just more obsessed with accumulating knowledge rather than the action. But can I control that? No. So I let it go. So then I think, what can I control? I can control the delivery. I can control the quality. I can control how much time they have um, getting their things answered. And I can control the value that's put out there and the accountability. And I, I genuinely feel, hands down, from an ed a property educator's point of view, I don't think there's anyone in the UK doing what we're doing to the level that we're delivering at. Um, and I genuinely mean that with, with absolute confidence. And hopefully it comes through with conviction rather than smugness. Um, but I do think we, we don't really compare um, against the other educators from that point of view. Cool.
Cool. So where can people find out a little bit more information about this? Oh, look, like I don't really have like a sales funnel and things like that with it. The, the best thing to do is if you jump on my Instagram, it's Jamie York Aspire, A-S-P-I-R-E. And I just DM me growth. There's a little call to action on there. You can just message me saying growth. We'll have a little bit of a chat. If I think it's good, I'll ask for your number. And then one of my my advisors there will give you a call, spend 20 minutes, half an hour on the phone with you, just really understanding where you're at and where you want to get to. And if it's right, they'll talk through the details of the program. And one thing we're really clear on is it might not be right for you. And if it's not, they'll say, look, this probably isn't right for you. And either advise you where to go for some resources um, or advise you there might be a better educator for what you're looking for out there um, and direct you towards them as well. But you know, our, our game is to attract the right people because ultimately we want to partner with them and make money and make no mistake, by the way, if you come on my program, I want to make tens of thousands from every single one of you. Um, I just want to do it through partnering and doing deals together rather than having the sole focus and a line that I use. And I think I said this to you early doors that really sets us apart is we are not an education company. And if you look at most education companies, this is them. Not saying it's bad, by the way, but... I'm not an education company that happens to do property. I'm a property company that happens to do education. And so that's my core focus and my real drive of growth right now. I think that transparency is quite refreshing or is going to be quite refreshing for quite a few people in, in, in the sense of if, if, this, if it's not for them, then you'll let them know. So that's really refreshing. And just in relation to that part where you said just drop growth into the Instagram, talking about growth, what does your look, life look like? Just just bullet pointed, what does your life look like in 10 years? Less hair, more hair, what are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> Mate, as I'm talk, getting older, it's, it's, yeah, it's weird in my talks, I have a picture of me when I was 19 and I look at it and it's like, do you know, as I'm getting older, more of my head hair seems to fall to my face. And in the last couple of years, it's like it's getting more and more scared of my eyebrows and it seems to be falling onto my back and chest now. So, yeah, getting older is horrible, mate. It's horrible. <laughs> That's a nice visual for people. <laughs> um, but no, gro growth in general um, is it's the, the business growth. I think in the next five years, I want to get to a million a month. Um, I think that's very doable. I think I'll achieve that actually in three years. But then the next two years will be operationally focused. I want to be making it without the stress. And the stress has to come first. And so 10 years, honestly, mate, I don't, I don't know. I'd, I'd expect around 3 million a month um, to be there. But me as a person, um, you know, one of my, my, my big lines is have a head for business and a heart for the world. And I've been doing quite a lot in, in charity, but I, I don't really talk about it a lot. My school's out in Africa and things like that. So something I, I really want to be focusing on is that heart for the world part thing, because so what you're probably going to see over the next five to 10 years is a lot more of my time dedicated to the growth of charities and trying to give back and contribute a lot more because that's, that's actually where a lot of my happiness comes from is other people's growth. And it just feels really good. And there might just be an ego around that. I don't know. I don't really care. Um, you know, it has a good outcome. So yeah, that's probably me over the next five to 10 years, mate. Like just having a shift of focus on contribution a little bit more. Cool. Sounds like a plan. You heard it here first, a million pound a month. And then yes, I'll just leave yeah. it here. Cool. So we're going to go on to the uh, quick fire questions. Jamie hasn't seen these questions, 
Um, and then we've got another set of questions which he ha also hasn't seen. There's three quick fire questions. I've got an idea what the first answer is going to be. Uh, what's your favourite word, Jamie? <laughs> Fuck. Uh, yep, yeah, I knew it was that one. Cool. <laughs> Number two, what's one thing that you're excited about for 2022? Being around people again. Like, I, I, re I really hope 2020, 2022 allows us to go less virtual and be surrounded by people again because it, it's impacted me a lot and I think it's impacted a lot of people. And I want to make sure people in my life's mental health is looked after over over the next year and trying to recuperate. So yeah, being around humans. That's a that's a really good one. And number three, what's one of your guilty pleasures? Cheese. Cheese, I love it. I like literally. I'll I'll go sometimes. I won't eat it for ages, and then I'll go out and buy a loaf of bread and a block of cheese and just have cheese on toast. Like I'll eat the whole loaf in a night. But it's it's, it's a terrible. I'm a I'm a bad human with cheese. Yeah. What's your favourite cheese? Honestly, mate, just Red Leicester. Is it fair play? I'm so boring. <laughs> I'm so boring. Cool. So now what we're going to do is do a few questions from your community. All right, let's do it. So we've got one from Andreas, Andreas Anderson. Is the moustache going to come back? For Movember, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm going clean shaven and Movember is happening. I might do it for a spy nation, get people involved. <laughs> um, Andrew Doyle says, what is on your vision board? Um, right now, I, I, I tend to have one vision at a time. So I have loads of visions, but right now it's uh, my vision board's my laptop and I've got an Aston Martin DBS on there. Um, and that's been my vision to get that for my 30th birthday and um, put down the deposit for it yesterday. So yeah, I'm excited for that. In two weeks, that should be getting delivered. Cool. I, I'll have to uh, come up to Leeds and uh, you'll have to take me through a drive, take me through oh, the package drive through in it. <laughs> absolutely, mate. <laughs> cool. And uh, the final one, Sam Watterson. Yeah. Boxers or briefs? Boxers. <laughs> Fair play. Cool. <laughs> well, that's the uh, that's the end of the first episode with Jamie York. It's been amazing having you on. I've learned quite a few things from you, and I'm sure that everyone else uh, listening has. So I'd just like to thank you again. I know you're busy for uh, taking time out on a Saturday, I believe. It is Saturday. I've, I lose track. <laughs> I lose track. It is Saturday. Yeah, taking no, time out on Saturday to, uh, to, to do this. So thank you. No, no worries, mate. It's a pleasure to be and hopefully it's added value to your audience and uh, best of luck with this, mate. I know this is your first episode going out as well and I, I just know with your personality it's going to be huge. So congratulations for taking the step, mate. I'm looking forward to coming back in six to 12 months and talking about what we've achieved over that period. Yeah, yeah. We're going to hold you accountable to that million pound a month as well. So I'll, uh, I'll get you back on in three years. Wow. Thank you for everyone who listened to this. Um, and it just goes to show that I know the first part we messed up, but that's the reason I, you know, I wanted to do it like this. I didn't want to, you know, edit things heavily. I wanted you to see the raw um, interview because let's face it, striving for success, you're never ever going to get things perfect at the right time. And I just want to demonstrate that. Um, so yeah, thank you for listening. Make sure that you subscribe. And uh, we'll see you on the next. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Diligent Endeavors podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes and share this with a friend and remember to put yourself in danger of success.